Well then, well then. When you're walking down Main Street, it just feels a little different this week. I think it's fair to say on the Not The Top 20 Monday podcast, I'm Ali Maxwell. On the line with me, George Ellick. George, it's back. It's back. It's, it's, it's not how we know and love it. It's going to be super weird, but it's back. We're talking on a Monday. And while we don't have any football to review yet, we certainly have some football to preview. At champi- <laughs> championship football specifically uh, this coming weekend. But first, we've got some League Two playoff action to watch. So we'll be talking champ first and foremost. We'll be then previewing the League Two playoff campaign. Uh, if we can remember anything about any of the teams involved. Uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Please be as excited and upbeat as I am. <laughs> Well, what isn't weird these days? So there's no issue about the fact it's going to be weird. I think that's fine. Um, I am <clears throat> very excited to be watching football again. I can't, I find it all quite overwhelming. <laughs> I just can't, I can't really fathom the idea that right now I haven't really watched any football that I really care about for about three months. And that's including, you know, there's been some great kind of um, retrospective stuff on Sky and on BBC and on ITV and stuff like that. And I've, I've kind of just avoided it all. I just can't really be bothered um, to, you know, immerse myself in that if there's just nothing currently going on. And I have all the intention of basically treating the next six weeks like a World Cup where I will do anything to watch every game that is possible to watch. <laughs> and I'm afraid to say that includes both the EFL and the Premier League. I'm just going to totally submerge myself in football. Um, and it's probably not a great time to be going to the future in-laws on Friday who don't have <laughs> um, the necessary channels. But luckily, I you know I pay all my bills and I've got my iPad. So <laughs> it's going to be me hunched over uh, probably like a coffee table whilst everyone else is watching Dad's Army uh, plugged into my iPad, uh, watching whatever it's going to throw at me, including my own beloved team in a playoff campaign. There'll be a tear in the eye. Possibly a beer in the hand uh, on, I think it's 5.15, as I I frantically get my notes up. That's right, 5.15 on Thursday on Sky Sports as Northampton take kickoff, roll it back, and Charlie Goode launches it forward towards Verdane Oliver or someone similar. There's a meaty aerial duel. It'll squirm out for a throw-in and we'll know football's back. That's how we will know. Um, Really, really excited to get into things with you. This is going to be an upbeat and excited pod. Uh, I echo everything you said and I'll certainly be watching all of it this weekend, that's for sure, starting on Thursday and finishing after Cardiff and Leeds uh, full-time whistle blows on Sunday around 2pm. So we've got a lot to do. Hopefully we will be you know, available on Twitter. We might try and do a few Twitter live streams. We might try and do some Insta lives uh, reacting to games. It depends what happens. Uh, we'll be previewing the championship and the League Two playoffs. There are a few sort of wider questions, George. People want to know uh, a lot of things and we've been asked to give some thoughts. I don't think answers are necessarily expected because a lot of the sort of topics are very much things that we kind of need to to wait and see. But major questions as we head into post-lockdown football, still very much affected by the coronavirus, is, uh, well, I suppose, health-related ones. Are, are there any fears for the safety of the players and the, and the staff? I mean, given that Michael O'Neill, the Stoke manager, tested positive for coronavirus last week, given that as far as 
he has said, as far as James Chester said in his in his column for The Athletic, you know, he was being very, very careful like everyone else. And therefore, that was a, a bit of a scare and a, a bit of a message to a lot of the a lot of the players that actually, you know, you can do you can do plenty, you can do as much as possible and, and you might still somehow catch it. Um, that seems to have been not brushed under the carpet, but I think the extent to which the championship and its clubs and the people that run the divisions are full steam ahead and so keen to match the Premier League's, so to speak, stride for stride and finish. It feels like that's not necessarily been treated with the seriousness that maybe it should be. So we'll, we'll, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on uh, on that because we are so excited about it, but I absolutely do not want to be irresponsible about it, I think. It's 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 quite weird. Is, is my, my main thought is that, you know, we're, we're led to believe and we're told very often how, you know, it may not be going down as quickly as we thought, but the infection rate in the country is certainly going down. And, and you know, we're, we're, things are opening up across the country but at the same time, quite a lot is still happening in football that's not very good news. Like two Pompey players tested positive last week. Two Oxford um, members of staff, I don't know if they were playing or not, tested positive a couple of days ago. Michael O'Neill um, tested positive. And I just hope before we move on and hopefully never talk about, um, you know, at least coronavirus's um uh, ability to stop football, hopefully we start talking about that forever after this it, I just really hope that every, every um, everything is being taken every measure precaution is being taken to ensure that we aren't going to look back at this as being unbelievably stupid because we already see you know whether it's the on a, on a bigger scale the Liverpool Champions League game Cheltenham Festival no matter what anyone who seems to work in racing says to you I mean they were quite clearly ill-advised and I just hope that we're not going to suddenly be looking back and wondering why we played Championship and League One and League Two playoffs, but that's the end of it. That's just my yep. small little just aside before we move on. Well, this is our platform to say whatever we want, George. So I would hope that you feel like you can do that, and uh, I, that's certainly what I'm asking from you. Just so long as you don't edit it out. <laughs> uh, I try and do as little as editing as possible, as you well know. Um, will there <laughs> be tons of injuries, and how much will the travel impact teams? I mean, I think anecdotally the feeling is that the the travel, by which we mean basically bussing up and back from games on the day itself, not being able to to stay over and probably, you know, therefore struggling a little bit with your normal food prep and nutrition and stuff. I think anecdotally from what from what I I know, the feeling is that that will affect teams, that, that teams with lengthy away trips, while they understand that they have to do it, they don't have a choice, not necessarily that happy about it. I know for a few people, you know, if they've got one or two key fixtures in nine and they're away from home, then... That just feels like uh, unfortunate, shall we say, that they will be affected by that. Will there be tons of injuries is, is this kind of one of the things floating around. The Bundesliga has been used as something as a guinea pig, um, something of a guinea pig, I should say. I mean, the we were told quite quickly that there were more muscle injuries. Then there was a piece by Honigstein uh, on The Athletic the other day that said, actually, it hasn't been as bad as expected. And coaches have a theory that the lengthy sort of mid-season break have kind of balanced out the increased risk presented by the quick resumption. So again, kind of remains to be seen. Simon Rolfe, as the, the Leverkusen sporting director, said the ability to make five substitutions rather than the usual three is key. And uh, that is also going to be the case in the championship. And then there's a lot of questions about the viewing experience. Um, you know, fan, are, you, are you a fan of crowd noise put out during games by club? Uh, we got tweeted by John. I, I actually probably 
I mean, it's just classic me. I don't, I don't really care. I think if there's crowd noise and it's good enough, you know, if it's, if it's the right levels and if it sounds vaguely reminiscent of, let's say, a Loftus Road crowd's murmurs and reactions to a game, then I could see that being quite good because some of the early Bundesliga games I watched, it was a little disconcerting how what, just the fact that you couldn't hear a single fan and all you could hear was the shouting and screams of the players and stuff. So I think if it's done well, I, I'm probably quite keen for that. Um, and then there's all the questions, the sort of footballing questions, George, which again, we, we can only really guess at things like home advantage, to what extent that gets massively reduced, um, whether sides who, let's say, are more uh, domineering with the ball or have better quality players might be um, off the hook in terms of, or to a greater extent in terms of sort of uh, underdogs and losing games that they should win and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know what you think is the most interesting aspect to this or, or, or I suppose a different way of phrasing it would be, what are you most intrigued by? What will you be sort of looking out for this weekend to, to give you some ideas? Obviously, you're, you're a punting man. So from a betting perspective, this is, this is all good stuff as well. I think it's really hard to know. Um, and I think it's probably on something of like a case by case basis. I don't think, I think anybody out there who is just going to say that there'll be a blanket tangible difference to home and away advantage is probably oversimplifying it a little bit. Um, the one, the one area where I wonder if we will see a bit of a change is, is kind of fewer trends. So less often will we see clubs go on a six-game winning streak, and less streak, and less often will we see clubs who are kind of really down on their on their luck. They put in two bad performances to see that turn into a long losing streak. Because it, it does feel, you know, we've all been, you know, anyone who, who's listened to this who supports a football club will know that there is an intangible feeling when you go to you're going to watch your your team playing, and you're on a roll, and that the whole match day experience feels very different. Similarly. The toxicity that happens when you go and watch a game where you're on a bad run, where you know, let's say off kickoff, you knock it back to your to centre midfielder who who shanks it off right over the dugouts. The reaction in those moments are going to be very different depending on the situation. And I just wonder if, therefore, if you're a team who have struggled for results, it's going to be just that little bit easier to come out next time and put in a better performance. And similarly, if you're a club who've won a few games in a row you're not going to have that same ability to kind of ride the crest of the wave along along with your fans. So that would be one thing that I think may happen. And, you know, just the quality of um, of, of teams, I guess. The, the, there's there's less to, to stop just the quality of teams being the most important thing. So I wouldn't personally be getting too in. I mean, I know that there's been some stuff in the Bundesliga and then again, some stuff um, from the weekend in La Liga as well about underdogs doing better. But I'm not sure I necessarily would buy into that until I'd seen it in the championship mm. um, in my face. Yeah, right in your face. Uh, well, you know, there's going to be quite a lot of this stuff that we will we'll be able to comment on more over the weekend. You know, the match experience type things, the viewing experience type stuff. Um, uh, I dare say, yeah, some of the some of the aesthetic stuff, uh, and then you know there'll be eye test results as well based on on football things. But of course, we are the the type of guys that like to um, get sort of some some answers through the data as well. So it, it was great to read uh, on the Twenty First Club website. The Twenty First Club is a a football consultancy that are excellent with data, shall we say? And and Sophie Sophie Tomlinson wrote about home advantage in this behind closed door era, uh, looking at, at the data in the Bundesliga and basically said that 
it's not that the 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 actually the answers uh, are not quite as simple as people are saying unsurprisingly um that the home teams haven't got any worse defensively but it's actually um going forward for some reason that the numbers for home teams and this is weighted to the teams themselves and how they would normally how much how many chances they would normally create in a game and things like that it's, it's properly done that it's actually going forward that teams are, are struggling to a to a greater extent which i think is quite interesting that she says that home teams are finding it more difficult to work the ball into dangerous areas when they're in possession and final third entries falling by almost 10 percent. and when there, the types of chance they create have changed home teams are making a similar number of crosses per game but significantly fewer passes into the box from central areas and when home teams do manage to create shooting opportunities, the quality of the chance tends to be slightly lower. So there's so many different variables as to why that might be the case, be it psychological or to do with their surroundings. But she writes that all of this suggests players are potentially taking less risks when on the ball, perhaps as a result of lower confidence levels after a lengthy period without competitive games. And I might add potentially, I think you kind of hint at it there, without the the murmurs of excitement that come from the crowd when you get into an interesting position that might just push you over the edge and, and make you try that riskier pass. So um, it, it's really it's really interesting. And another thing that's just uh, from the piece, not necessarily to do with home advantage, well, I suppose it is, is that um, referees are giving more free kicks to away teams and more yellow cards to the hosts. So in theoretically not being as affected uh, subconsciously by, home, by the home crowd. Um, but home teams are being awarded just as many penalties, free kicks and corners as they were early in the season. So refereeing decisions are not necessarily uh, a reason for their attacking woes. So that's something I wanted to sow the seed of in your mind, thanks to Sophie Tomlinson uh, of 21st Club. And, and we'll sort of track that and, and have a chat about this again on Monday. Let's get into the championship weekend. Uh, Let's. There are games to talk about. There are players to talk about. I'm just going to give you a few reminders, George, because there are some things that I think uh, have happened over the last few months that we need to remember before we talk about the games themselves. Firstly, a reminder that one of the managers in the championship has coronavirus. Michael O'Neill tested positive. Um, as per James Chester's column in The Athletic, he will be back for the game. I think I think it's a week's quarantine or a week's isolation, uh, and he'll be back for the game on the weekend. Uh -huh. A week's quarantine and then a lifetime of staying alert, I think, is the <laughs> advice go. now. There you go. And Lyle Taylor is not playing for Charlton, can confirm, um, with what Lee Bowyer described as a life-changing move on the horizon for him, not wanting to get injured. Same story for Chris Solly of Charlton and David Davis as well, who was on loan and said he didn't want to travel down to London and, and, and be involved with that. Um, remember, a reminder that Derby and Sheffield Wednesday's uh, wranglings with the EFL have not been have not been finished. So there's still a chance that uh, Derby and Sheffield Wednesday could be uh, punished. That could come in a, in the form of a points deduction. Uh, a reminder that Nathan Jones is the manager of Luton Town, by the way, and that Pep Clotet is head coach of Birmingham City, but not for long. He'll be leaving at the end of the season. Um, a, re a reminder that uh, Wayne Rooney plays in the championship. Uh, a reminder that uh, Barnsley and Luton are on 34 and 35 points. Survival would be mightily impressive, but not a miracle. And then there are six teams between 42 and 39 points. So all to play for in the relegation zone. Charlton on 39 in that final spot. Hull, Wigan, Middlesbrough on 41. Stoke and Huddersfield on 42. And of course, the playoffs are up for grabs as well. So there are a few reminders for you. I thought that would just wet your whistle. What I want to know from you is... Ahead of the weekend, what's the game slash games that you are most excited about? <laughs> the game I'm most excited about is is the first game we're going to see. Um, it's Fulham Brentford. 
for almost every reason for every reason i mean it's to start with it's it's a derby game uh, without any fans which is going to be um, a bit of a shame but you know it's still a, a, a match between two sides who don't particularly like each other and therefore there's a fair bit riding on it but i just love the way that this is balanced where you've got west west brom playing birmingham in what is another derby game without any uh, without any fans but the outcome of this fulham brentford game is just like extraordinarily big for both West Brom and Leeds, where I mean, Leeds are playing Cardiff the next day, so I'm sure they'll all be watching it, probably not together. But for West Brom, the knowledge going out into their game against Birmingham, knowing what Fulham have done, is so big. Just like mentally, it is massive. It realistically is huge as well, because if Fulham pick up three points at home to Brentford, they go within three points of West Brom. West Brom have had about three months of just thinking of staring at this table just thinking like surely we've got enough have we got enough are they still in it are we going to be all right and realistically if Fulham get the three points against Brentford any questions they had as to whether or not this was job done are completely out the window because it quite clearly isn't job done because then they only have a three-point cushion going into a difficult home game so and Brentford of course will be looking at this as well thinking to themselves you know we still have to have a chance of breaking into that top two but at the same time lose this one and suddenly they're going to only be five points clear of dropping out of the top six altogether it's a a match between two teams who can probably boast to have I don't know probably eight of the top 20 players in the division between them I would have thought as well so the individual quality that's going to be on show is huge we've seen over the last three months that Saeed Ben Rama has been linked to a couple of Premier League clubs you know Aston Villa being one of them Chelsea being another um, so probably worth remembering that this is a guy who we're not going to be seeing playing in this league for much longer anyway. Um, then you've, you know, we've waxed lyrical about so many Brentford players for so long in this. And then, and, you know, we've got a Fulham side who still retain most of their Premier League talent from last season. It's just, it's just a massive game. And given that we've had no action for so long, it's just remarkable to think how much the whole division changes before the rest of the games even kick off. It's, it's, it's so pivotal for that top six. Friday the 26th, Brentford against West Brom. And West Mm. Brom have to play Fulham at home as well. Uh, That one's the third last game of the season uh, in mid-July. So those two games will be pivotal as well. For balance, West Brom outside of those two games don't play anyone else in the top 10. So, uh, well, actually, that's a lie. They play Blackburn away, who are 10th. So only Blackburn in the top 10 and otherwise some quite tasty fixtures. So, look, as I think you've summed it up quite well. Thanks. Leeds and West Brom and their fans must be having just hilarious throughout the last few months must have just had so many different sort of different mood points and different views where you can you can only be confident in the team that has you in in the top two you've got to be pretty thrilled about how the season has gone for the most part you've got a ton of players that you absolutely love who've performed really well you love you love your managers you've got a six point gap which generally you'd feel pretty comfortable about but of course the nature of not having <laughs> not having the games to be played and just sitting and waiting with the fixtures against Fulham and Brentford up there uh, coming up as well uh, it does mean that I, I suggest both of those teams will have been through the ringer you've got as well, George, it will not have escaped your attention that Brentford played at Arsenal in a friendly uh, at the end of last week or maybe over the weekend. And uh, a certain duo of Chandon Baptiste and Tarek Fossu were absolutely tearing your David Luizes and your Maitland Nileses, <laughs> uh, a new one, which is, what is which is hilarious. What is the, the first rule of football punting? 
actually the second rule the first rule is never about no nil back first uh, no goal scorer <laughs> yeah the second rule is just ignore friendly results they mean absolutely zero if I, anything i would say take the opposite view i know i know but it was just i just uh, clearly I did enjoy it. clearly I love- you're just feeling a bit bitter about your old yellow boys doing the business no for the way. I, i'm um, pretty sure I, I sent it to you saying like shut down <laughs> Um, I thought I thought the first rule of betting was never put the early kick off in your acker. That, that's, yeah, that's we've said this before. That's for absolute. That's mugs. my that's, that's my first rule. Um, that, oh no. This is excitingly this is um, Watkins against Mitrovic as well. And another thing to be tied up in the championship is the golden boot. Uh, you would suggest that uh, for anyone to catch these two, they will have to put together a, a nine-game run for the ages. Uh, there's one goal difference between them. Mitro one clear of of Watkins. Um, Watkins has scored one goal more from open play. Uh, what were the other fun stats we discovered when we decided to put Watkins in our team of the season over Mitrovic? Mitro hasn't scored a goal with his weaker foot, um, and Watkins has scored a few. And also, Watkins has scored more headers than Mitrovic, which might fly in the face of of what some uh, would think. And so that's quite an exciting one. We've got to be quite careful after after we left Mitro out of our team of the season because we wanted to play four two three one and we wanted to be loyal to. You know, having a team that that were playing in the right positions, not just shunting Watkins out wide, having not played there at all this season. Um, we did get some quite aggressive messages from Serbian football Twitter. Fulham fans, mm. for the most part, were pleasant uh, as they tend to be, but uh, the the Serbian fans were were not happy. Uh, let me run through a couple of other games, uh, and you can tell me which ones you're excited about outside of of that first one. So I don't want you to just be excited about game one. We need to carry this through. Um, to the end of, of Cardiff Leeds on, on Sunday. Uh, you've got Millwall and Derby. That's 8th versus 12th. That one's at one, also o- huge. That one's at 1 o'clock on Saturday. I've been, mm. trying, I've been trying desperately to work out if I can buy like match passes on iFollow. But it's, there's a lot. It's, it's still a little unclear to me, I must say. Because in the Championship, some clubs basically rejected iFollow and said, we, we don't want to do that. We want to do it our own way. So I haven't quite worked out if I can pop that one on um, to, to sort of plug the gap between 2.30 and 3, between the Fulham game um, uh, finishing and the 3 o'clock starting. Um, but you've got, obviously, Gary Rowett against his old club there. Millwall in a really strong position. They don't play anyone in the top nine positions in their run-in. But if anyone, if any one team is going to miss their home fans, giving them uh, a sort of uh, untangible advantage... Actually, basically, if any team has... If anyone's team home advantage is tangible, it probably is Millwall. Uh, you've got Blackburn in 10th against Bristol City in 7th. You know, if there's a winner in that game, that's going to be huge for whichever side that is. And therefore, on the flip side, a really poor start to the resumption for, for whoever doesn't win. Huddersfield against Wigan. Uh, Hull Charlton is kind of the, the lively one down at the bottom. 21st against 22nd. The last game you saw was Charlton losing to Middlesbrough. And Hull have, well... Pre-lockdown, they picked up a, a scarcely believable two points from eleven games. Um, Hull City analysis on Twitter did point out that you know even having lost Gr- Bowen and Grasitsky, and that was the obvious talking point there during that run, they were also without about six first-team players who are all back. So at least from a Hull perspective, they've been able to welcome back some some of those players who were injured. Um, but yes, this is one of those games where Charlton travelling up to Hull. Um, you know, you'd say you'd. you'd, you'd yeah, with with all the travel that that entails and such a big game, there's going to be a lot of nerves. This is going to be a big one. Mm. Um, Nathan- I think, I think the, the interesting thing about those two games you said um, is that you probably got the two teams in, except for those like right at the top of the table in Leeds and West Brom, you probably got in Millwall and Derby, two of the sides in the whole championship who were 
the keenest for football not to stop, if that makes sense. The two clubs who were very much on an upward curve. Mm -hmm. uh, Millwall's last game before football stopped was a 3-0 win away at Nottingham Forest. Derby had won their last two games, 3-0 against Blackburn and 3-1 at Sheffield Wednesday. Both of them trending upwards and towards the playoff positions. And so I kind of feel like that is a game where we're going to learn a lot about who the protagonists are from outside you know, Preston and Bristol City in order to get into the playoffs. And in Hull and Charlton, you've probably got the two clubs who needed everything to stop, who needed some time. I know that what's happened at Charlton since in terms of key players and one very key player in Lyle Taylor no longer being available isn't ideal. But, I mean, Hull were sinking without a trace have now had at least some time um, to, to try and resurrect any kind of form uh, but since they lost Kamal Krasitsky and Jared Bowen, and for Charlton as well, I mean, they were absolutely desperate that day at home to Middlesbrough. They pulled out a couple of big performances previously, but they showed very, very little at all um, and lost to a side of Middlesbrough who they made look much, much better than they are. So, yeah, I, it's they're two interesting contests because they are between clubs who... You know, they're massive games and, and they were massive games going into the, what you know, when they would have happened on that Saturday. Um, and I wonder how they're going to come, how all, all the sides are going to come out of having three months to basically prepare for, for the biggest game of their season so far. We've also got Nathan Jones's first game in charge at home to Preston. Preston, to a certain extent, and I, I kind of blame ourselves uh, for this as well, you know, in many ways, the forgotten team, because they've always been in the playoff picture, they still are in the playoff places, uh, although in that sixth spot. They hadn't been on particularly good form compared to their early season form. And therefore, you get people who are desperate to see someone make a late bid. Pe Preston very much sort of there to be shot at and potentially being a little bit forgotten. They could spoil Nathan Jones's uh, return to the dugout. I was going to say homecoming, but it doesn't feel quite right. Um, both <laughs> both without fans and also the fact that the fans are being a little bit wary of him as well. Um, then you've got Borough Swansea, QPR Barnsley and Reading Stoke, uh, which are of middling interest to me. There's basically no game that I'm not interested in, let's be clear, but I, I didn't want to go through all 12. Uh, and then Sheffield Wednesday, <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday Forest is a really interesting one. I mean, you talk about Hull and Charlton really needing football to stop. I don't think anyone really needs reminding that Sheffield Wednesday from Boxing Day onwards have had been completely miserable, uh, had, had won two games, had drawn three games and had lost, I think, eight in that time, conceding five uh, at home to Blackburn, conceding five at Brentford, conceding three to, at home to Derby and at home to Reading and away to Stoke City. They also lost home games uh, against Cardiff and Hull. So, uh, I mean, they were going through a horrendous period. They've got the, the sort of shadow of, of, uh, of EFL sanction hanging over them and, and, and that committee, which is still, still taking its time to make its decision. And they host a Forest side who are in fifth place, who are level on points with Brentford, who feel like they are the under-the-radar team uh, in the championship, who also, you know, it wasn't it wasn't unbelievably concerning, but had only won one of their six going into it. So I think generally the consensus is you shouldn't transpose form before lockdown onto what we're going to see, that for the most part I think we believe it to be a clean slate. 
At the same time, when previewing the games, we're so used to looking at form that it, it's, at worth, it's worth at least reminding yourself of what had happened before. Um, Forrest had, uh, had lost 3-0 at home to Millwall. They'd been sort of out-tacticed a bit by Rowett, which is un- unusual for Lamucci. Um, but that's certainly a game I think that's really catching my eye from an yeah. interest perspective. And, and to go cross-sport, you know, we, you and I both like watching our golf on Sunday evenings. Correct. And last, last night, Daniel Berger won the Charles Schwab Challenge. And he was pretty much one of the most informed golfers in the world before lockdown finished. And a lot of people, you know, still bought into that form line. So there's probably something to be said. I mean, there are obvious reasons why form wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, it, I think we would all assume that form goes out the window. But yeah. I, I think there's probably something to be said about um, there being something of a continuation of it. Like the fact that Forrest lost 3-0 uh, at home to Millwall in their last game, I think still carries probably some significance, not as much as it would have done. Um, but having said that, I, I think with Sheffield Wednesday, it's going to be having been to Hillsborough during this terrible run of form when they were absolutely battered by Blackburn, talking about toxic stadiums and mm. toxic... I mean, it was... It was horrific. Like I, I was taking photos of fans leaving at half time, and so you almost think that for Gary Monk, he's probably thinking to himself, "Brilliant." Like, Make it sound like you were there as a photographer, like behind the goal with a high vis. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, I just went to the loo and looked out a window and saw them all leaving. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gary Monk's probably thinking to himself, "Like, great, you know, okay, good. We can get rid of the, ne- the negativity, which is completely justified. We can get rid of the negativity. We can try and change the environment that we're playing our home football in." Fingers crossed it works. I mean, if you're Sabri Lamucci, you're probably pretty delighted that this is your first away game up, but it'd be interesting. I mean, it, it's another fascinating one. Yeah, we're all we're always told how important tight knit dressing rooms are and the the relationships between players and as a wider group. What's it been like being part of a dressing room that's tight knit during coronavirus where you haven't been able to see each other, but you have had to do lots of Zoom training sessions and there've probably been lots of attempts to you know, to try and, and keep in touch with each other, just to keep each other sane and check in on each other. What's it been like being part of a dressing room, let's say, that was that was increasingly toxic or in horrendous form and feeling a lot of pressure um, and, and potentially, you know, as you can imagine, a group of sports people who are on a horrendous run of results, bit of pointing of fingers, bit of blame being divvied up. What's it been like being part of a, of a mm. coronavirus-themed dressing room uh, if if you headed into it in that sort of form, that's that's kind of interesting to me as well. Forrest are just an interesting side to me in general uh, for style of play reasons here. Uh, I can't. We kind of shirked a lot of the who's going to benefit from behind closed doors, who's going to benefit from five subs, who's going to benefit from the layoff questions. Because I, I mean, it's it's so hard to say. What I'm interested to know is. You'll see people saying Leeds are going to benefit because they have such a high intensity style of play and they're all so fit and have kept so fit in lockdown that they're just going to blow teams away who are rusty. But for me, it's interesting. Like On the one hand, their style of play takes a huge amount out of them. It also takes a huge amount out of the opposition. So who's, so where's where exactly does the benefit lie? Like In what, what part of that range? Forest are interesting to me. I put them forward as a sort of counter to that which is if you're a team that are exceptionally comfortable sitting in your defensive structure which involves being quite close to your own goal I think Ollie Walker told us that they were the team who, who essentially defend the deepest in their in their out of possession shape if you're that team and you're very happy letting the opposition 
knock it side by knock it side to side, but you're not going to be letting them play through you at all. Does that mean you have more energy to spring counterattacks with Joe Lolly down the sides, or does that mean is it more tiring to be out of possession than in possession? These are all very interesting questions that uh, I don't necessarily have the answers to, but that's why I think Forrest are an interesting uh, um, example from a tactical point of view when we're talking about post-corona and, and the sort of realities of football. And then the- we, we, I was just going to say, we may, may as well, I mean, because you brought up Leeds, we may as well do Leeds now in terms of, of what they're going to be. You know, they're not playing until Sunday where they're playing away at Cardiff. But I was thinking about this this morning, the same as you, where, you know, we, we spoke to Phil Hay a couple of weeks ago and he told us about how you know, the players have been worked hard during the summer, not during the summer, sorry, during, you know, what was a bit of a funny summer, um, during March and April and, and May, um, how they were kept their task very much to, to keep fit, still sending in their, you know, their, their weights every morning. And I initially, like everyone else, I think, thought to myself, like, brilliant, they are going to come out of the traps and be just relentless straight away. But actually, the more you think about it, the more I think, like, whilst I don't think it was the case last season, Bielsa has been haunted by this idea of burnout. And it completely makes sense that, you know, when you're playing at that higher intensity, when your training is that is that intense, you need to be, um, there has to be a rest period at some, at some stage. And, you know, normally that is going to be in the summer before, you know, you have a bit of downtime, then you go again. But given what we've been told about this, it, it kind of sounds like they haven't really had that. And you're now into June. The season started in the first weekend of August. By the end of the season, that's going to be 12 months worth of, of high intensity, you know, uh, you know, pedal to the floor kind of stuff. And, you know, Leeds are in an endless position at the moment where they've got, you know, they've got uh, nine games left. They probably only need, what, four wins, three wins, three wins probably, and they're going to be fine. But it might just be worth keeping an eye on that, you know, I'm sure the the sports scientists uh, that Mar- Marcelo Bielsa employs have a better understanding of the human body than I do, even though I am now running about six kilometres twice a week. So <laughs> I'm a bit of an expert. But but they you're I'm coming sure. out of lockdown in, in great shape. I'd be I'd back you to win. You know, to win but, football but, matches. But do you know what I mean? It kind yeah. of does feel like just on a very base level, that's a long time to be. I know, I know, and and look. I, 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 the, the, at top intensity also, without a break teams teams have all been working on their fitness and basically nothing else for the last three months you know it's hard to know truly who the fittest or even more so the unfittest teams are in a division like I mean there's more to late goals than fitness but if if the concessional scoring of late goals is in some way a proxy for teams who who are sort of still going well in the last periods of games Leeds don't come out that well in that regard. In the last 15 minutes of games, they'd scored 14 goals. They'd conceded 11. There are teams who are way better records than that. West Brom, yeah, yeah. West Brom had scored 16 goals and conceded eight. Now, that could also be down to depth of squad and people coming off the bench being of a higher quality. Forrest has scored 15 goals in the last 15 minutes of games and only conceded seven. And you've got teams at the other end, like Middlesbrough scored four, conceded 10. Uh, Wigan scored five, conceded 16. Preston scored three, conceded 13. It's not always the best teams have a better record in that regard and the worst teams have a worse record, even though the majority of those teams are either at the top or down the bottom. But, you know, Preston are an interesting one. Three goals scored in the last 15 minutes of games and 13 conceded. Game State plays into it as well. When they have the lead, Preston are the sort of team that are very good at defending it rather than going on for, for extra goals. So 
basically I've said all that and I still haven't got any conclusions. Um, but uh, yeah, the Baggies, the Baggies Birmingham game is going to be really interesting as well. Um, obviously, always exciting to, to check up on Jude Bellingham. The amount that he developed in the three months prior to lockdown um, makes me very excited to see how he, you know, how he's developed through lockdown and how how to what extent he'll hit the ground running. Um, uh, so many Baggies players, I'm looking forward to seeing. In fact, just in terms of which players we're most excited to see, uh, I'd like to go for a second here. I got a little bit misty-eyed thinking about this earlier. Um, Aberieze and Brightesay Samuel. They're, both their individual skill, but also their little combinations. They, they really do bring me joy, so I'm looking forward to that. Jed Wallace, head down, just burning people around the outside, just burning them for speed. Ben Rama doing little roulettes, little turkey twizzlers, as I like to call them, that we saw him do on the weekend. Michael Hector of Fulham being Virgil van Mike. Um, Lewis Travis versus Hanno and Masengo in the centre of the park at Ewood Park this weekend. Emil Smith-Rowe of Huddersfield really starting to grow his already large reputation with actual performances at senior level on loan at Huddersfield from Arsenal. Matt Grimes' ball-striking technique. Um, there's something so golf about the way that he takes set pieces, corners and free kicks. I absolutely love it. Uh, everything about Matthias Pereira excites me. Uh, Ovi Ajaria's balance on the ball. Conor Gallagher's, Conor Gallagher's intensity. <laughs> Calvin Phillips doing it all. Jude Bellingham developing every minute. Lucas the Duke Djukovic nodding it in at the back stick. Towering over a poor fullback. Matty Cash overlapping Joe Lolly. Wayne Wazaruni spraying passes from a fold-up chair at the base of Derby's midfield. <laughs> Lee Tomlin creating and finding pockets of space in a fold-up chair just behind Cardiff striker. Uh, Corley Woodrow dropping deep, linking play, blasting it in from range. That is what I am excited about ahead of, of this weekend. I cannot wait. Championship football, we love it. It's back. And uh, we're going to be able to talk all about it on Monday. Uh, in fact, if you want more of this, Stuart James, who is a magnificent athletic writer who covers all sorts, but has a real soft spot for the EFL. He did an amazing interview with Nigel Clough the other day. Uh, he also wrote a piece this morning, Monday morning, uh, about the championship and its return, just whetting the appetite, so to speak. Um, championship returns with promotion more important than ever. Uh, there's loads of little bits of detail in there. Uh, talking of fitness, the little nugget, which I imagine was was fed to Stu, potentially by Phil Hay. Every Leeds player, apparently, beat the time they posted uh, in a running session uh, on the last Saturday in May. Every Leeds player beat the time they posted before football was suspended. So uh, in th- if you take that to be, uh, to be Bible, then they're fitter than they were before lockdown. And fueled by a desire to bury the memory of last season's disappointment. Uh, so many good narratives on site as well at the moment. Uh, I think possibly the last one in the Paul Warren and James Chester joint column, which has been such a treat during lockdown. Been really cool to hear from those guys. Paul Warren speaking magnificently after Rotherham's promotion, which was very controversial in many ways as well. People thinking that it's been handed to them, but just a reminder of what it can mean for a for a club and a squad. Uh, and James Chester talking a bit about Michael O'Neill's coronavirus uh, diagnosis, if that's the right word, and. Um, and you know how that's made them feel, but also his 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 encouragement, uh, his positivity about getting back to playing football. So that's really really exciting. Uh, if you want to read those pieces, if you'd like to subscribe to the Athletic, you can get a free trial so that you can try before you buy. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20, uh, you'll get that free trial. But you'll also get fifty percent off going forward. So you'll get two quid fifty uh, a month for full access to the Athletic 
ad-free access to all of its podcasts, which of course includes our own podcast, the Going Up, Going Down pod that we do for them. Uh, so do give The Athletic a go today. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 for your chance to, yeah, for, for, to, to give it a go on a trial uh, and then to subscribe with 50% discount. George Ellick, the first games we will watch. The first games we will watch. And I have a funny, I'd like to think that we'll just be on the phone together watching these games or maybe FaceTiming because we won't be able to watch them together, sadly. Is uh, mm. Well, it's Northampton against Cheltenham, isn't it? In the League Two playoffs. Playoff football. We're talking about being excited about the return of regular season games. What about the best thing that the EFO has to offer, which is playoff football? I mean, almost because it's so exciting generally, I'm a little bit worried that it's going to look very weird. And in what way? Just In the sense that not having fans at playoff games feels arbitrarily more important than not having fans at at regular season games. They've had two and a half weeks of training. I don't think, I think I'm right in saying there hasn't been an opportunity for any of these clubs to play friendlies against other clubs like we've seen in the the Champ and the Prem. Mm. Um, And I'm just a bit concerned. Like I'm a bit concerned that we're going to be so excited and then the realities of, of how odd it is and the amount of time it might take for things to get going and the fact that even if it does get going, it's probably going to feel less exciting. Uh, the, the 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 scenario due, due to there not being any fans there. That, that I don't want to be negative, but I just you know I'm a little bit worried think, about that. I, I think there will be something to that. I mean, I, I think a lot of games in League One, and League Two, and I really don't want to be this guy. But a lot of games on League One, and League Two on TV don't have that many fans. <laughs> the playoffs are certainly a different case um you know mr michael dean made quite a big impression with his reaction after the league two playoff semi-finals uh, last year um with uh, you know chamir fan and premier league referee I-, I think it'll be okay i just think i'm so happy there are going to be playoffs and one thing that i think will will probably shine through at the end of all of this is we will realize how much players care what would really be disappointing is if we see um, you know, see Exeter score a last-minute winner in the second leg to go to Wembley, albeit an empty Wembley, and just see the players kind of high-five and trot back to their mark before <laughs> the end. I, I can't really see it happening. I'm pretty sure, it. you know, we're going to see that it's it's not just a show for the fans. Um, you know, anyone who watched the Man City All or Nothing on Amazon would have seen how the, the Man City players reacted in the dressing rooms uh, after games, after like regulation home wins in the Premier League. And I think that kind of serves to show just how much these players care. Um, and I think at this level, especially, having that opportunity to go forward is going to be important. So I'm, I'm positive, mate. I, I think I think it's going to be great. And I think they're two okay. cracking ties to get, us, uh, to get us excited. Great. Well, hopefully there'll be people listening who, well, given that it's Thursday night, and I don't think it clashes with any Premier League games. I mean, this is going to have magnificently large viewing figures. Lots of people who have not... Uh, sorry, that was just a little nod to our friend who texted me after last week's pod saying, I can't believe how many times you used the phrase magnificent or the word magnificent on the podcast. So uh, <laughs> magnificent viewing figures this game's going to have. Certainly Northampton, Cheltenham at 5.15 and then Colchester Extra at 7.45. So let's preview the games, but let's also remember that there'll be people listening who are going to watch these and might want a, a bit more context and might not have that level of assumed knowledge that uh, your average uh, person listening at this stage of the pod will have. So first question, first game, Northampton, who's seventh against Cheltenham in fourth. Why should 
we be excited about this? What are you most excited about and why? Interesting. Um, I think firstly to say, I, I, I assume we haven't really discussed it properly, but I assume you and I will be doing a betting show later in the week. So correct. We'll leave, we'll leave predictions mm, yeah, uh, but and, the, and we'll, the like for that. I'm not sure we'll have League Two stuff for that, will we? I think we should do our League Two predictions now because I think we might do a betting show on Friday so as not to as not, not to clash with other shows that we might do this week. Yes. Um, okay. So a couple of interesting things from Northampton Cheltenham. I think in Cheltenham, you've got a manager in Mike Duff who is it's just worth worth watching, really, I would say. I think he's a manager um, who's destined... If you're someone who likes, for example, Chris Wilder and find this, the, the, interest, the story interesting about how he rose up from League Two, it wouldn't be a massive surprise if Duff follows that kind of trajectory. They're very different people and play very different styles of football. But um, he's someone who's come into Cheltenham and very quickly revolutionised the playing side of that club without spending much money whatsoever. Um, with Northampton, you've got maybe a team who play a style a bit easier on the eye. Um, Keith Curl, a manager who likes to get the ball down and I'm play. I'm not sure I would agree with that necessarily. <laughs> well, I know what you mean, but this, this Northampton team have been... They have the players up top to be direct and they've certainly got people who like to deliver it, shall we say, aerially. Yeah, I would, I would still say in terms of, of just style of football, maybe. Uh, maybe not. I mean, I, I just think of Cheltenham as being a very much a defence first team. Maybe that's where I'm where I'm coming from rather than, you know, Northampton maybe a bit more liberal at both ends of the pitch. But interestingly to note, you know, they played each other twice this season. Uh, Cheltenham winning the home game 2-1 pretty soon before football stopped and the other game was one all. Uh, the two sides have faced each other four times in the last two seasons and Northampton have only picked up one point from those four games, which would suggest that Duff certainly has a little bit of something over Keith Curl um, in the in the head-to-heads, let's say. And that Northampton-Cheltenham game in December came at the end of a run of, of Northampton's six consecutive home wins as well. So it came probably at the time of the season where they were playing their best stuff. So, um, yeah, on that basis, I, I think that Cheltenham... Um, you know, they're, they're the better team over the course of the season. They were rightly in the race for promotion, whereas Northampton were trying to scramble their way into the playoffs. Um, in Cheltenham, you've got Luke Varney, who is a, you know, he's turned 38 years old. He's been around the block a fair bit. Um, I was amazed when I was looking at his Wikipedia page the other day, just how little, just how few goals he had actually scored in his career. Uh, players, the guy's been playing up top for the best part of 20 years, but certainly interesting to watch. He's been brilliant for them as well. And Alfie May, who came in in January, uh, has really been a bit of a catalyst for a better, better bit of form. I think, yeah, for, for a neutral tuning in, wanting to see, um, you know, what they're looking to see, I, I think Cheltenham are probably the story here. Um, I have a feeling there'll be a couple of players and certainly the manager will go on to to, to bigger things. Yeah, for a neutral t- tuning in, you're watching the, uh, the best defence in the whole EFL. Better defensive record than Leeds. Better defensive record than anyone in League One. Uh, just a f- fantastic defensive unit. So I, I do understand where you're coming from with the style of play thing, George. I do think they've improved in that front. I mean, they're in the best form in the league before lockdown. Although they they weren't absolutely plundering the goals. Don't get me wrong, but they they were they probably thanks in in most part to Alfie May's addition in January, who is so mobile and quick and stre- and just constantly running in behind, just constant movement, which League Two defenses have found very difficult. They you know, compared to someone like Varney, who's slightly less mobile, but but a, a good target. Um, and someone like Alex Adai, who's a bit of a wild card, really fast as well. Um, very mobile, but but again, probably just feels like less of a goal scorer than May. So May's arrival was huge. Um, I do think they've got slightly more to them, Cheltenham, kind of in line with what you've said. Just more, 
more ways of, of creating chances and just slightly more sturdy as well. This is all pre-lockdown stuff, of course. It, it might be that they're terribly prepared and Northampton are magnificently prepared. And given that both teams will play direct at times, you'd say that defensive concentration, I suppose, is probably the right word from the beginning. It's going to be absolutely uh, paramount. It's so important for these teams because you can absolutely see the first set piece or two. If you're not bang on it, both of these teams have got big centre-backs. They've both played 3-5-2. They'll both be piling forward from set plays. You're going to have to be seriously well-organised, really well-structured and bang on it. So I think it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see at least one set-piece goal. Uh, always exciting for the for those who like betting on uh, first goal-scoring centre-backs. Uh, I think in terms of <laughs> key, key players, I think I'll just say as well, Keith Curl, of course, is, who's a, who was a great football player, uh, he's got a bit more experience than Mike Duff. He, he's not got great uh, memories of the playoffs. His first ever season as a manager, I had no idea about this. He was in charge of Mansfield back in 2004 and lost the playoff final to Huddersfield on penalties. I think this at the same level at um, at fourth tier. He also lost one of the most famous League Two playoff semifinals uh, with Carlisle in, in 2016-17 against Exeter. Uh, an extra with Jack Stacey and Ollie Watkins, of course, who are now playing so much higher. Um, so not great memories of the playoffs. And, and Mike Duff, who, who you love, he, for those who don't know, joined Charlton at the start of last season, well, about 10 games in, when they were towards the very bottom of League Two. Uh, and of course, they were so close to automatic promotion when things finished. So you can see exactly how much he's galvanised the place there. Yeah, I mean, what I would say to that is that, <clears throat> you know, you talk about Keith Carr being the more experienced of the pair. You also talk about how he was managing in the League Two playoffs in 2004 and he's managing in the League Two playoffs in 2020. I don't think Mike Duff will be managing in the League Two playoffs in 2034. <laughs> 2036. <laughs> okay, mate. Oh, fine. Well, great. Uh, I think in terms of key players, if people want to want to zone in on one or two from each side, uh, we've talked about a couple of the Cheltenham guys as well, but we haven't talked about Ben Tozer, who is the captain, plays in the middle of the back four. Most of his career spent as a defensive midfield player, dropped a bit deeper, and it's just worked so well. You know, he's got the defensive capabilities and he's also got some serious <laughs> defensive units next to him as well. Uh, whether it's Raglan or Boyle or Greaves, that three at the back have been so good. But Tozer is basically the the first point of contact, if you will. He's kind of the quarterback in a way. They don't always play long and, and, and Tozer's the one who's got the quality in his left foot um, to spray it around, uh, often picks it up off the keeper and starts Cheltenham's attack. So he's he's really important in basically every sense. He's the captain. He's the first point of contact in possession quite often. Uh, and he is well at the heart of the defence. And then you've got Ryan Broom, 23-year-old Welsh uh, midfield player. He'll play, I think, in, in, the cent- in the central midfield role, but he's got a bit of a free role. Eight goals and seven assists this season. Um, he drifts into space. He can deliver well from out wide. Um, yeah, driving the ball forward from the central midfield with space to move into and Alfie May making a run through the middle, that, that's going to be a big issue. So Northampton have got to be very careful there. And for Northampton, yeah, Nicky Adams has been, well, he's been doing it for so long at this level. He is one of the most creative players uh, at League Two level, most consistent anyway over the last few years, certainly since we've been doing the podcast. Um, his delivery is, is consistently good um, and he's got plenty of targets to aim for. So wouldn't be surprised to see Adams pick up an assist or two. And then another centre-back, Charlie Goode, pretty much considered to be the best individual defender outside of the big teams uh, in League Two. He's had a fantastic season. Um, he's just one of those defenders who he, he started in non-league, got a big move up to Scunthorpe. He, he rose a fair few divisions, never quite 
found his way into their first team as Scunthorpe were in League One at the time. Um, but ever since he's moved to Northampton, it has just clicked. Uh, an amazing pickup for the club. He's now captain of that team uh, and he's a, a magnificent player as well at the heart of that defence. So there's a few guys to, to look out for. What about Colchester against Exeter, George? Certainly, I think this one will look a bit different tactically. Um, what would you be most excited about? How would you set the scene for this game? I'm... I think it's a really exciting game between two exciting sides Um, to add a bit of colour for those who don't know. I mean, this is going to be so boring for those who listen week in, week out to us. No, but it's been three months. It's been three months. There's a comfort to it. You know, in the same way that that, that Mike Duff is exciting at um, at, uh, Cheltenham, I think that Matt Taylor is exciting at Exeter. I mean, I've said it so many times, but you almost forget how tough a job he took on at Exeter. I mean, Paul Tisdale was... The, the you know the longest serving manager in England behind Arsene Wenger, uh, and then became the longest serving after that. Um, and he left Exeter, you know, probably still punching above their weight. I guess the kind of the top half of, of League Two, even if it wasn't as as high as some former glories. But Matt Taylor came in and took on the project, which we know is not easy. Uh, looking at other managers who've, who've stuck around a long time and then moved on, and he's improved them immediately. Um, they were they were exceeded expectations last season and they've done so again this time round. They were going through a rotten run of form, it must be said, when football finished. Uh, they lost 2-0 to Northampton. They drew uh, at home to both Crawley and Crewe and then got beat 3-1 away at Walsall. So if you are going to still look at um, you know, look at form lines going into this despite the break, they would be one who come into this in, in pretty bad shape. Uh, Randall Williams is a player to watch on the right-hand side. Assist King with 14. Uh, left-footed right-hand side, right-hand side player who likes cutting in and doing mad things uh, off, the, off the right-hand side. Um, again, coming back to what I said earlier about uh, you know the season, about what these clubs have already done. Again, these two have played each other twice this season. Both games ended in draws. Um, but again, looking over the past couple of campaigns where we've got John McGreal, the Colchester boss, and Matt Taylor, the Exeter boss, have both been in their roles. Uh, it's been three draws and a win for Exeter. So McGreal yet to get the better of Taylor in four matches so far, which I do think in playoff scenarios, I wouldn't really look at it any other time. But you have to think that probably gives them an advantage. The fact that these Exeter players, this Exeter boss, have faced off with these Colchester players and this Colchester boss four times and never come off second best, I think has to have some advantage as well. Uh, so, and, and, and Colchester, I'm, I'm going to let you do most of the talking about the players because I know that there's certainly one or two who you've waxed lyrical about before on Sky Sports. Um, but an exciting side, um, certainly a team who on their day can be as good as any in League Two. Um, but that day, I mean, that's been the case for, for two years now. And that day, sadly, doesn't come around often enough. But in that sense, I guess they could be the perfect playoff side where if it all clicks for them uh, and maybe, you know, the, the circumstances around the way these games are going to be played will benefit them. Yeah, I think you might be right with, with what you've said there. You slightly stole my line. I, th- I think one of my big predict, well, one of my big thoughts uh, considering these two teams is is that I think Colchester's maximum performance their ceiling if you will their best possible performance level is higher than Exeter's best ever or best possible performance level um you know they beat Swindon 3-1 and 3-0 this season at Colchester they went on a 16 game unbeaten run between October and the end of January but there weren't actually that many wins in it there were maybe seven wins in it and, and the rest of them were draws so 
I always I always feel myself feeling like I'm talking about Cole you negatively, but it comes from a place of love, if you know what I mean. I, I have high expectations for them and therefore feel a bit let down when they don't fulfill those expectations. So uh, I think that kind of sums it up. You know, they've had some magnificent performances this season. Maybe it's partly down to who some of their star players are or can be in the sense that you've got someone like Kwame Poku. He's got to be out of all of these guys uh, in both games, the one that you really want to watch, partly because of the way that he plays, um, partly because of the fact that a year ago he was playing in the Isthmian League for Worthing, and even then he'd only played a handful of games before then, having played previously at an even lower level um, before getting the chance at Colu. He's so young. Uh, our great pal, Jay, uh, Blades Analytic, you'll know him by. He's been doing some magnificent threads with uh, with video clips in the last few days, just whetting the appetite for the return of EFL football. So make sure you're following him. He did a really good thread on what makes Poku so exciting. Also, the sorts of things that he, he can improve on. He is a player, as is Courtney Senior, who's a fair few years older now, but still feels like an exciting young player, even though he's around 23, uh, 22 years old he is. These are exciting wide men who are capable of doing something spectacular um, and and show up very well in highlights programs, uh, if you catch my drift, but potentially are not necessarily the guys who you want as your star men if you want to be a, a, a winning machine, you know, a t- the type of team like Swindon, Crew, Plymouth, who end up in the automatic places and, and Colchester were a good 10 points off there. So some really exciting players to watch, um, but that, you know, they'll need to put together a, a consistent performance over two games. And it's hard to, it's hard to predict that they will do that because that's been quite rare. You know, back-to-back wins, they've only had three times this season for a team looking for promotion. You'd say that's probably not as many as you'd like. Exeter, you're right to say, started the season really well, had a bit of a wobble, then got back to form, then had a little bit of a wobble again before lockdown. So Big I'm, wobble. I'm, I'm not quite sure what to expect from them. Uh, you mentioned Randall Williams. Archie Collins is an un- another one to watch. Exeter, as League Two clubs go, you know, of, of course, crew of one promotion with a core of, of homegrown players, of academy players. Exeter are the team who, who do it best, you'd say, business-wise. Uh, that, you know, they brought through Ollie Watkins and Ethan Ampadu. And both of those guys are... You know, that, that would be enough for most EFL teams over the course of about two decades, let alone the course of about five years. So uh, Archie Collins is another one off the ranks and looks like a really good player. So this one will look a bit different because Cole U will, will certainly play four at the back. Exeter have a few different ways of playing. Can't quite second guess how, how Matt Taylor will set them up. But it, it might seem a little bit more technical this game. Um, but certainly, you know, we're expecting set pieces to have a huge impact on on all games. Uh, we've seen in the Bundesliga, it feels like there's been a, a rise in set piece goals. So, um, you know, in, in playoff games when there's so much on the line, it feels like whoever whoever comes out the blocks quickest is going to have a huge advantage here. Um, and, and that's it. That's it for, for this podcast. It's been so good. I can't tell if you're waving at me to say goodbye or if you just want to chat a bit more. Just quickly before we go, who are your predicted League Two playoff finalists out of this gang? Cheltenham against Exeter. Cheltenham against Colchester for me. I said it. I said it. I said it. Um, just can't wait for these. Guys, on Thursday night, get in touch with us at NT220Pod on Twitter Let's just chat through the game. I know for a fact that I'm going to be so excited. I'm probably going to have a couple of beers. I'm going to be tweeting more than I should. Maybe we could, even, maybe we could, could hop even on. Live, a, live tweet one each, maybe. 
I think we could definitely do some live tweeting, so definitely get involved on Twitter, but also maybe look out for an Insta Live at NTT20Pod on Instagram. Maybe quickly, if we can sneak one in between games, that would be really fun, and a little quick one after the game. We're just so excited to be back watching EFL football. We hope you are too. We hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Let us know what you think on social media. Please do share this. Um, You've got Sky Sports showing five games from Thursday evening to Sunday afternoon. You've got Quest with the Saturday night highlights. Get involved, enjoy it, and we'll talk again on Friday with a betting show.